and welcome back to Movie Ruiners, a podcast about movies with brothers Nick and Reed Canada. This week, we're diving into Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You, you said it wrong. I, I've, I've thought a lot about it, but there's a dot, dot, dot in there. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Gotta respect the pause. And welcome back to Movie Ruiners, a podcast about movies <laughs> with brothers Nick and Reed Kenny this week. Once upon a time in, in Hollywood. Hollywood. Hell yeah. <laughs> Nailed it that time. Nice. Yeah, even the title's long. It's a long movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In Hollywood. The ellipses got me. You're right. This is uh, one of my favorite movies. And whenever uh, we were talking about Austin Powers, I was just like, okay, we got, might as well do this movie now. Uh, but it's about Brad Pitt. He's Leo's, uh, he's Leo's stunt double. And it's just kind of a fictional Hollywood fantasy about what if these guys existed and stopped the Manson murders from happening. To me, this movie is about three people. Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio, and Quentin Tarantino. I think you're going to say Brandy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's a great third person too, but I just... It's so much Quentin Tarantino at times where I just... You notice things and see things that, I mean, even how many times you see feet in the movie. Yeah. Like it's just very Tarantino. He just feels like a third character in it. Cause it's only a movie that he could have done. It feels like. Yeah. Well, I think it's his most like meta movie and like reflective of like, uh, just Hollywood where, where Hollywood's at even today, but just like even the characters, like if you listen to him in interviews, he's so excited to talk about these characters. And I think he just relates to, uh, I think he kind of sees himself in Leo and Brad a little bit and being these guys that are kind of their best work was kind of past past in the past. Like even Leo, his best thing is the 14th fist of McCluskey and it's he's burning Nazis. I think you could say that might be the last time Tarantino put out a movie that didn't have that much controversy behind it. Feels like every movie he puts out has a lot of controversy, a lot of liberal people coming out and talking about how this violence is awful and how it's horrible for the kids and stuff like that. And I think Inglorious Bastards was the last movie that most people were just like, oh, yeah, it's awesome if you do that to Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, more of that. Yeah, so I just, I see, like, kind of like you're talking about the feet thing. Like, I feel like he refer- he references his own work in this. It's just, the, I just think it's so meta and very deep and uh, and kind of like just Hollywood's changing so much, like with the Me Too movement. And all these stars getting called out, it I think it kind of has Tarantino in this place. Even his mentor, Weinstein, I mean, he got taken down over all oh, this yeah. stuff. And I think that just is, I think this movie, Tarantino, even he got called out by the, the Me Too stuff with the Kill Bill. We talked about it, Kill Bill, with how he treated uh, Uma Thurma and mm-hmm. the car wreck and all that stuff. And this movie going into even more meta stuff. He recast the people he used in uh, Death Proof. He has uh, oh, Kurt the, Russell, who's yeah. the stunt man, and then the the woman who's the stunt double in that movie, and then also, or she's like the lead in that movie, but also Zoe Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also plays the stunt woman in Kill Bill. It's very strange. Like it's very meta of that whole experience to me. I think Brad Pitt, like where he gets kicked out. Isn't it weird how he gets kicked out after hurting the lead, Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. and wrecking her car? 
Then he gets kicked off the set. Oh, wow. And I just think this movie, I think there's so many layers to it where Tarantino's looking at, like, how do I move forward in Hollywood? I think Brad Pitt represents, like, the old side of Tarantino, like the dangerous, violent side that he loves, and that he's starting to see, okay, I'm, I've, I'm, maybe this doesn't have a place here. Maybe I'm, I'm having problems here. And I think Leo represents the side that wants to stay relevant and hang in into Hollywood and kind of adapt to whatever he has to do. Wait, so Leo's character is the most insecure character I've ever seen Leo play. And I love it. There's parts of the movie I don't like. I, I mean, there's parts of the movie I love. But the best part is undeniably Leo and Brad Pitt. They both give great performances and they're are perfect for the characters which they play. Like Cliff Booth being so cool and just like he's so zenful and just has Brad Pitt brings so much to that character. Well, it just seems like that's like I don't know, when Brad Pitt's the least like himself is when he's like this like very animated, like screaming Brad Pitt. We even in Fight Club when he's just like, low, low, and he's just screaming and going nuts. It just doesn't feel as real as like... Brad Pitt seems cool. Brad, Yeah, <laughs> like Brad Pitt. Like you've said it so many times. Like would we just talk about how like Brad Pitt's just the man. Clint Booth is undeniably the man the whole time. Yeah. Like how he handles every situation is just like pretty chill and cool. and Super cool. Yeah. I love Clint Booth. And someone pointed out, oh, it's Bill Simmons. It made me laugh. He was like, I don't think this guy turns down a blowjob from this girl. <laughs> he was like, it just doesn't feel in character. And the other two guys on the podcast, like Sean Fantasy, were just like, I'm not touching that, man. <laughs> like, I'm no comment. <laughs> I'm bummed out we didn't get to see the blowjob, personally. <laughs> but but once again, bring it back to meta. Hollywood. I, th- I think yeah. that's the Weinstein thing right there. I think that's him saying... Maybe some of these women that get in this position aren't that innocent. Mm-hmm. And you brought up the feet thing. I saw someone bring this up online. I don't know if I totally agree with it, but I think it's a funny idea. He does show the feet a lot, but in this movie, it's like so in your face. It's not like, it's like, oh, the fetish is out, so I'm going to like be obnoxious about it, mm-hmm. almost parroting himself. And all the women's feet, though, are dirty in this movie. Every one of them. Maybe showing that these women aren't as, cl- once again, just like, just symbolism for these women aren't as clean as he once thought they were. I read that Sharon Tate was very big in general on like walking around barefoot, that she would like often use like rubber bands and just like other, I didn't know, I didn't know that. like just like around her like pants and stuff because she didn't like wearing shoes. And so it, it, okay. for her character, that's why they did that was to kind of show how like free spirited and just like that was just a thing she did. And I, I've heard Quentin Tarantino say that like Sharon Tate was supposed it was such an influence over the movie and how he wanted to like get her right too. So that kind of made sense to me, but also it was kind of still like this feels like a large explanation for like why I have <laughs> Margot Robbie's feet <laughs> in this. <laughs> yeah, I think he probably heard that detail and built the whole movie. He's yeah. like, wait, what? <laughs> he was like, What about her? Feet? I got an idea for my oh. night film. <laughs> It's interesting, interesting too. He's been working on this movie for like a decade. He's just like he just said he just he's been writing it just I think since after Death Death Proof. Wow. I don't think he's that focused on making a movie anytime soon. It seems like he's wants to do a play. I heard him say he wants to do what, Once what Upon a Time in Hollywood play. Oh, oh yeah, like the book. I read the book too, and the book's great. But 
there's scenes where it covers like it's kind of a bummer when it's like oh it's not going to go into the leo freaking out uh scene like i love whenever oh in the trailer like, yeah that's that scene's the one of the funniest scenes i've ever seen that oh gosh you need crushes i think and honestly we talk about comedies and stuff like that but this is probably my favorite comedy of the last three i mean it came out three years ago 2009 no yeah 2019 so this is probably my favorite recent comedy i know it's not like a lot of people might not think of it as just straight up comedy but i laugh i've seen the movie like 20 times now and i laugh every time yeah i laugh a lot in the movie i don't think of it as a comedy though but i do laugh a lot yeah i don't think of it like just a straight comedy but the closest thing it is is a, a buddy comedy with cliff and cliff and rick dalton I mean, yeah, I would say almost a road trip buddy comedy as much as they're in the car together, too. <laughs> Some of those shots are incredible. Before they go to the dinner, but they're just driving down that long street of Hollywood, and it's all the old movie posters. Like I think it's the lot, yeah. and it's all the old like movie posters on the wall there. It's just such a cool shot, like, and it's just and it's Brad and Leo behind the this old classic car, and you're just like, this is awesome. I, Tarantino, I don't think used one green screen on the whole movie, really. And if it was, if there was, it was like just one because he had to type of deal, but. And some people complain about the driving around and stuff, but he found all these old uh, sites that look just kind of, they're like, okay, we can take away a few of these things, drive through it, and it'll look just like it did yeah. 50 years ago. And that stuff, the more you watch the movie, to me, it just builds the reality of that world. Like, I really like feel like I'm in the in 69 in, in Hollywood or whatever. But something interesting I saw about what he said about that is a lot of the shots, the angles of them are like kind of upwards. And Tarantino was eight during 69. It's kind of why he wrote all this movie, because one of his like biggest like childhood moments is the Manson murders and all this stuff happening. But he just said something he would remember in his childhood is, is his dad driving him around. So the views that we see are kind of what like Tarantino would see as a kid. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the whole like when you learn in advertising that the cartoon characters on cereal boxes, their eyes like look down because kids are looking up. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't, That's I didn't the know same that thought process on the angle of like being a little kid looking up at Hollywood. Yeah, there's just, I think this movie's a lot of nostalgia for Tarantino. It's just, it'd be like us writing a movie about our childhood type of thing. Yeah. Or at least, at least the time period and the place that we grew up in. Like the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be sick. Just embrace the 90s white suburbia. I just feel like it's like it's what I know, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be pretty easy. I could think of a lot of things. So you're a big Bruce Lee fan. Like, I know, like, that's, like, one of your, like, role models. Would you say, like, I know his daughter was, like, not thrilled with how he was portrayed. Yeah. Like, what are your thoughts on the whole Bruce Lee in this so movie? So the first time I saw it, I was definitely, like, I laughed at that scene, but I was also like, I felt a little bitter taste in my mouth from it just because I know Bruce Lee studied Muhammad Ali and would just be like, this guy is too, too, too big. <laughs> like, like he would never say that. Yeah. Like he, I don't, I, but at the same time, I think he might on a set, he might just being like trying to be cocky and he loved talking shit. So he might do that. But in privacy, I know that he pretty much was like, there's no way I could take this guy. Like, I'm fast. I might could get some hits in. Yeah. But, and he wanted to fight him, but he just, 
I think he was just going, this guy's so strong. And obviously, I mean, he outweighs him. Like, Muhammad Ali's like twice the person Bruce Lee is. I, I think Bruce Lee could definitely get some punches in. But I think if Muhammad Ali got one, like, the one, it's just a no, the fight's over. Uh, but, yeah, the movie probably made me feel that way. But when I read the book, it kind of goes more into that stuff. It's very clear. I don't, I don't want to, I guess, spoil it for everyone, but it's very clear if he killed his wife or not. And it's like he's like, it goes in his backstory. Like he was like a war hero, killed like 200 people. Like he's like one of the biggest badasses. And during that fight scene, he, he lets Bruce Lee hit him uh, the first time. And he pretty much has this monologue where he's like, usually if you let someone hit hit you, then do the you tell them to do the same thing, they'll do the same thing. And it's kind of silly, but but then he knows what he's gonna do, and so he just reacts to it. So so I don't, and I mean they tie too in the fight, so it's not like it shows that Cliff beat Bruce Lee, but but he definitely put a dent in that car. Threw him into the car pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that dent in the car says something different. But but I did uh, I I don't feel that did I, you I feel see like, that I feel coming like at all? Fair to, uh, wait, see what the first time the you were watching it like oh, what no was <laughs> that, I was like oh my god like that was hilarious <laughs> like especially well again you being such a Bruce Lee guy I I thought you had to be thinking Bruce Lee was about to like mess him up. This shows that I liked the scene though, where I had to see it again. I went and watched the movie again, but I just went like. I tried to time it where it was like, I want to show up in the movie right when that scene's happening. <laughs> and uh, just because it's such a long movie and I was just like, I think I was eating dinner or something. I missed 30, 45 minutes. So like, okay, I just want to get there for that. And I walked in and the scene's hilarious. And it's, but like, it's also really weird because Cliff Booth is kind of reflecting. He's imagining it. So it's kind of in his memory, how he thinks of it. Yeah. And even if you wa- if you watch it again, the weirdest thing is there's people in the background when they start fighting and then it like does a clip over and those people are gone. And, and like there are just people standing around extras watching the fight and like when Zoe Bell and Kurt Russell come in to break up everything, they're completely gone. <laughs> and huh. like it's just so I kind of think I've never there's some that. and even with the movie being Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think the movie has certain elements of it that are just kind of fantasy. And I mean, the whole thing's a fantasy, well, really. If you think parts, about it, <laughs> there's definitely parts to the movie that have so many deeper meanings and things that I'm so unaware of that I just, you know, I, I've I couldn't tell you who Roman Polanski or Sharon Tate like one thing they've done really. Like I'm sure if I looked back at it, I'd be like, oh, okay. I got, I got some wild stuff there too. <laughs> I remember early, I guess people reminiscing over the Manson murders and like people revisiting. It was more about when I think like Columbine happened. Then I start that people were starting to like dredge up more of that stuff too. That makes and, sense. Cause I remember, I remember Charlie Manson cause he just terrified me and I was like, Oh my God, like South Park would make fun of him. And then like, he was just on the news for mm-hmm. probably just before he died and all those court cases and stuff. Yeah. Like then that. the court cases started happening. But either way, what I was saying is that I just didn't know a lot of the history of all that. So I, and so the first time I was watching it, I was so confused a little bit, not knowing like the fiction element of it. Like, I, I it took me a minute to be like, oh, this is kind of like Inglorious Bastards. Like, this is just like if it happened this way. 
but it definitely took me like a second to to figure that out because I was just kind of like, wait, what was this a part of it? Like, were the neighbors involved? Like, because I just wasn't familiar enough with what happened. I do think that's probably one of the biggest weaknesses of the movie is like you could watch it and if you didn't know and like I love the 60s and 70s so I was very tied into that and even when I heard uh he was doing a movie about all this time period I like read some books about Manson and just all that time period so I was very like okay I kind of know the deal but a lot of people that I've talked to that don't love the movie as much it feels like they're kind of like hey what was this character about who is this like what was that Sharon take care of what she's doing it's like you didn't know she was brutally murdered <laughs> like yeah because, I mean, some people complain, too, about uh, Sharon not getting enough dialogue. But uh, t- I heard Tarantino, and I agree with him. He was like, he, he didn't want to turn her into a Tarantino character. And you, what you really see, what she does, though, like, emotes without dialogue, like, it's gorgeous. Like, I think if you, like, some people will say, oh, you could take her stuff out. It doesn't matter. It's like, you're really missing the whole point. Like, you're seeing, like, the prime of her life. Well, she's going up. And I know you mentioned the three people, but, like, she contrasts Rick Dalton. Like, she's going up yeah. in Hollywood where Rick Dalton's going down, where she's watching her movies on the big screen. He's watching them at home with, with Cliff. <laughs> and that scene is so pure, though, where she's just like, what if I'm in the movie? Like, Dude, it's a beautiful and scene. It really, it's so sweet and pure, and it really, it paints her in a, it's such a lovable light. I've, I've teared, I've watched the movie like 20 times. I'm not going to say like tear up every time, but there's just times I've teared up watching it. Cause it's just sad being like this mother that was robbed of her child and her whole life. Yeah. You know, she was just right there. And it's like, she, this, 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 the last movie she got to watch of hers. Like she, she was just now starting up kind of. Oh, I mean, it's definitely, when you look at it, it's so sad, it, but it's such a sweet, sweet scene to see the innocence of her it just makes it all the more tragic to learn about when you read about her because i didn't know you know i didn't know much about like i said her at all so it's definitely when i did my research i was like oh man this is so sad well there's a lot to unpack i could we could do a whole podcast on that type of stuff but what i will say is manson wanted to get into the hollywood elite like when he whenever he left jail i mean god there's a lot a lot to dive into but whenever he left jail he was trying to get into the hollywood elite and he he tapped uh dennis wilson of the beach boys that's like who became like great friends the beach boys even recorded one of manson's songs and like manson was pissed because he's like y'all stole one of my songs and like he actually has like not terrible music it's like some stuff you're like oh that that's interesting but he was basically the Epstein of the time. He would bring around all his culty girls, yeah, girls, these young girls, like like pussy in the movie. And she was actually based off a famous girl that like that Manson basically convinced her dad that like I, it, it was really really weird thing. Like the, the dad like wanted to join the cult too. But some of the reasons there's so much to talk about i know i sound flustered but (laughs) it's overwhelming dude there's so much it runs so deep well that's the part of the story when clint booth is uh driving back with pussy and she's like hitting on him and asking about the blowjob and he's just like no and then they get to the uh what's the ranch called the span spawn spawn ranch spawn ranch the that was, you know, 
how they lured a lot of the guys in was through, like you said, you know, these girls trying to have sex with guys and bringing them back under the pretenses of like, hey, let's have sex, you know, come come to the ranch. And then Manson would meet them and try to, you know, get them to join the cult. But there's so much about that. Like there's a book that the Helter Skelter book came out, but then there was another book that came out that pretty much disproved everything that Helter Skelter came out. So what I'm saying is like, that time period about Manson's motives and everything, it's very unclear. So the fact that he doesn't show it, I think he doesn't show it because we don't really know what what was happening. Because some people think, like the theory is that he got burned by Dennis Wilson and he was trying to show the Terry Melcher was the producer that he kept on trying to get, he had meetings with and was trying to show, hey, we could we could record. And I think they just saw that he was, he was a little crazy and they didn't want to associate with him. So they, there's a theory that like that's what spawned the murders, but a lot of people it doesn't make sense when you really examine it. And there's a book. Uh, um, let me see what what it's called. I've been I've been reading it over here. Chaos: Charles Manson and the CIA and the secret history of the '60s, and it is nuts. Like the CIA would test people would use an acid. They would test people, prisoners, and just random people and Charles Manson like there's theories to, to be there's there's reasons to believe that Charles Manson was tested on this acid and is an agent and was sent out into the world pretty much to make the hippies and the left movement like look evil and vicious and kind of start a race war so so conservatives and the the president and everybody could just say look how awful these hippies are like, look how much violence they created. And the way that he was brainwashing people is the same things that the CIA was doing on their test. The CIA, there's something you can look up. This is confirmed. Project Midnight Climax. <laughs> they would lure <laughs> men. They would lure uh, men with prostitutes to these warehouses and have them have sex and watch them in a two-way mirror, give them acid, and see how much, see how far they could convince them. They could reveal their secrets if they could, if they would want to hurt somebody, if they could just see how far that they could take them on acid. Holy crap. Yeah, and the same techniques that were being used there is what Charles Manson was using. So there's a lot of reason to believe, and like he had so, so was many- was it a Manson girl that was like, hey, do you want this uh, acid dipped cigarette? Was that, or is that Those just are just the part? times too, though. Okay, I like, just, I didn't some, know. Some people, like Ken Kesey, is the author of One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. He volunteered for some of these experiments and broke into lab and was still a lot of acid. And they would take him at the Grateful Dead uh, shows at the time that were just like starting up. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And it started the, the hippie like acid test or something. It started all these, these shows that all, the whole crowd would just take acid. So a lot of people were going, oh, th- this is awesome. So in a lot of ways, the CIA is responsible for the acid wave that took place. Because they, t- they bought a lot of it to study it, and then it just got out. Huh. Wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. Yes. But especially about Charles, like Charles Manson potentially being a CIA agent. A so, CIA agent. That's crazy. So there's reason to believe that they like did like testing on his head to uh-huh. almost like... like I don't know. They could have messed him up a little bit, like electroshock therapy, and more put him out there knowing that like he loved prison like he was like a trailer park boy he loved like growing up in jail like that was like his his place like he wanted to be back in jail that was like his home type of deal 
he had so many reasons to get arrested and people would pick him up and he'd be right back on the street the next day so there's just a lot of reason to believe that people just had him out he was an informant maybe not an agent but like an informant is a better way to say it i don't know it's just crazy and another thing i don't think they showed well that they should have in the movie was the sharon tate house that was like the mecca party house and was just like that was like it, it was like an elite like oh that's and i know they mentioned it like that's roman polanski over there and leo even says i'm one pool party away from changing my whole career uh, yeah which is so funny because he's in the pool he pretty much burns that girl it's <laughs> yeah it's not a pool party but it was a barbecue well then at the end i mean that begs the, the question like she invites him up it's like does uh rick dalton have like a career resurgence but what's great about that scene and i wish they would have showed that just that was the hot spot and that's where all the hollywood elite yeah they didn't at. do that they didn't like, do that enough but you can see it in there it's like the I mean, gates are like the gates of heaven like at least in cliff's mind like when it opens up like it's so funny because uh what's that guys amelia Hirsch. in cliff's mind or amelia, rick's mind i in uh, in rick's mind yeah but the, when the gates open up it really does feel like the gates of heaven because i just think that's like that's his fantasy like ultimate fantasy is being accepted by the elite yeah and i just it's love happening. when amelia hirsch gives him the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the club pal Mm-hmm. but i love this movie and i really think it's so rewatchable because it's i think it's one of only tarantino's like feel good like I know there's still violence. Yeah, and I was like, stuff it's happens loosely feel good, but yeah, it for is. a Tarantino movie, for the actual what, story, what's the it's next contender good. for the feel good? Uh, Django? No, I'm just kidding. No, that I mean that's <laughs> I mean, not maybe. that's not far off. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> maybe Kill Bill, but there's so much in you know, both those movies. There's so much outrageous murder, so much violence. It's like, do I really want to sit through all this this rape and Mandingo fighting to like <laughs> for this feel good? Yeah, it does take away from the feel-good aspect of it. So that's just my argument for why I think this is the best Tarantino movie. It's just, it's just so damn rewatchable, and I love, I love just. Uh, it is a very quiet movie. It's one of my favorite movies to watch, like going to sleep. <laughs> oh, I've fallen asleep so many times watching this movie, just because the fir- especially the first part of the movie, like it's something about it. The it's just so simple that it just puts me to sleep. Yeah, man, don't. Don't cry in front of the Mexicans. <laughs> I love that. Love that line. There's so Here, many, wear these sunglasses. There's so many funny lines. Uh, the whole, the first scene though. Uh, before actually, I'll wait. I'll I'll just tie up the Manson stuff though. I know I went crazy talking about the the Manson. I got I, I got helter skelter <laughs> fever. But what I was just wanted to say is we don't really know exactly what happened there. And it's crazy, all the possibilities. So I'm kind of glad Tarantino didn't just say, here was the Manson story and kind of just made, made up the story. No, I, lo- I love the scene, that whole scene. That could have been the whole movie to me, just him and Al Pacino talking about Rick Dalton's career. I would have watched, and, and there's several, I would have watched two hours of a lot of just different scenes. Uh, yeah, but I just love how he paints. He just paints like, well, you're hurting your stock doing all these shows. Like, who's Bingo Martin going to kill next week? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just got to be on the man from Uncle. The psychological effect you have on the audience when you're taking all these roles and you're taking the heavy roles, but you're losing. It's like, I've never thought about that stuff before. But once he said it, it was like, oh, wow. There's so many examples that in television or something like when that. That was very like Quentin Tarantino, too. That just felt so Tarantino to have that 
like dialogue all it, that felt like a speech that Tarantino's given to someone before. Oh, that's it. That's I love that you said that because that brings me to another meta point. Is Tarantino has revived John so Travolta, mm-hmm. David Carradine, and Kill Bill. Like, there's so many characters that Tarantino, like, he used to be obsessed with doing that. And that character, Al Pacino, in a lot of ways, is like him. Oh, it's yeah. like a meta character of Tarantino trying to revive J.K. Hill's career, or Rick like Dalton's. Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just, it felt, that to me, like, when I said that was just very Tarantino part to the movie, that was the part where I was just like, this feels very Tarantino. Of the actual hippies, though, it's pretty, like, star-studded cast of, I mean, you've got uh, Maya Hawk, who's, yeah. you know, been in Stranger Things the last two seasons, that people just now are figuring out that she's Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter. I feel like that's been, like, everyone's been talking about that. Um, uh, but then Dakota Fanning, also, as one of the girls, too. I didn't recognize Dakota Fanning at all. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. Like, I wouldn't still. Even now, I'm like, how is that Dakota Fanning? Yeah, like, I have to look it <laughs> She's up. She's hilarious, though. Oh, yeah. The girl that's, like, in the car that's like, we gotta show these Hollywood fascists. We need to cut their dicks off. Ah! Like, yeah. And then she just screams the whole time. Like, the girl that, like, and granted, that scene is hilarious when Brad Pitt just winds up with a dog food. Oh, I love it. And hits her in the face, like, I full on, like, just... Greg Maddox right down the middle. It's so funny yeah. <laughs> to me. I guess Randy Johnson would have been a better analogy because he killed that bird. <laughs> but it definitely, like, he throws that thing and just don't. No, hurt. it's like, that. that's going to hurt. That's a broken nose. I get it, but the screaming from her just is so much. That I'm just like, I just want her dead already. Like, oh my God, flamethrow this <laughs> flame throw this girl already. Yeah. So, another meta point that I have to go into. So, the hippies, what you said about, like, whenever she goes into her spiel about, like, so dig this man. Like, yeah, yeah, she's like, just lame. Like, we're the violent people, these people of Hollywood taught us violence. So, they're responsible so we should kill we should kill them well that's that is one of tarantino's biggest criticisms from the liberal media is that his movies are creating these violent people and in a lot of ways these hippies you could replace them you could replace hippie with just like crazy ass progressive or weird liberal and the movie is the same thing and this woman that gives the biggest criticism to tarantino she says that in the film then gets her face smashed in by a can of dog food, torn up by a dog, and then set on fire. So you can see how Tarantino feels about these thoughts. (laughs) He doesn't. Sadie, that's the girl's name. Mikey Madsen's the actress that plays her. Well, I I just think she's, that like represents like just the criticism Tarantino gets towards his movies. Yeah. That makes sense. Rick Dalton at the end's confrontation with them is incredible. Yeah, I love just that he's making margaritas. Holding the margaritas. But once again, it's just another scene. Whenever he gets that flamethrower out, I laugh every time. Like It's so so funny just watching him burn that hippie to a crisp. And, and I think that's Tarantino just saying, hey, you got to just make the art you want to make. 
and burned all these people that are criticizing you. <laughs> you got to forget well, about them. I love that, that once again, Clint Booth does like pretty much all the work and then, <laughs> then Rick gets credit for it. <laughs> no, that's the, that's a really funny part of the movie. He's like, he really is like his stunt double in yeah. real life. Even when, though he's been fired, it's like he's still the one getting in danger and doing all the stunt work. And Rick's just sitting out back drinking margaritas in the pool. And like when Rick is shooting his show, being a pretend like outlaw, uh, Cliff's on spawn at Spawn Ranch. Yeah, <laughs> having a wi- a real showdown. <laughs> Even the way those scenes are shot, it's like very westerny. Like just like when it's showing the hippies and him walking by. And I love him just hitting that hippie in the mouth. <laughs> oh, that that whole <laughs> part's it. great. The I read that Tarantino like really had the like casting or not casting, but like the set designers look at uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That makes sense because it feels like that. I, I do feel like though that for me this movie feels like Tarantino trying to make a uh, trying to make a Coen Brother movie because it just kind of subverts expectations a lot. Even in that, like because of Tarantino when Cliff Booth's walked in there, like. We're like, oh man, we're expecting violence, or at least the first time watching it, you're like, oh, this is gonna go bad. <laughs> no way, Cliff is making it out of here. No way, this guy's alive. Like something's about. It is about to get. The plot is here. Things are kicking up right now, and then it just is like, nope, old guy's all right. <laughs> oh, he's just napping. <laughs> when oh, I know what you're. Ta- I thought you were talking about the end when the. I thought you were talking about the standoff. No, I, I just mean that that whole scene. It just is played up like a horror, and you feel oh, like yeah, you feel I like mean, he's even dead during that and... scene, even during that scene, it's like <gasps> Texas is going to come back. It's going to be bad, but then it's just like, oh, nothing. Okay, we're <laughs> we're yeah, fine. Nothing happens. <laughs> and that's another uh, part in the movie I love is when uh, Leo's talking to the little girl about the book he's reading, and it really breaks down the whole the themes of the same movie we're watching. Just in these people are realizing, okay, we're we're not as good. We're 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 hurt. Even Cliff gets hurt at the end of the movie. He's not going to be able to, you know, walk around probably as well as he once was. Mm-hmm. He's like he's like easy breezy. <laughs> yeah, and then Rick thinks he's easy breezy, <laughs> but he's really just a pampered movie star. And even that's kind of Tarantino making fun of how uh, obsessed, self obsessed movie stars are. Everyone's just in their own world. <laughs> Leo having that scene with the little girl mm-hmm. and talking to her. And that, like, even the director that's, like, having the conversations with mm-hmm. Leo, who's so over the top. Sexy, evil Hamlet. Like, everyone likes evil Hamlet. <laughs> like, that guy's great. Like, but it's such a, he's such a, like, eccentric director, I guess. It just feels like a character, I don't know, I don't get to see much in movies, is, like, seeing the, you know, this yeah super animated director. Uh, so I like that. That whole scene I thought was really good. I like Timothy Oliphant and like Leo just like messing up his lines. Oh yeah, and being just like, oh no, like yeah, ah, like you got this, Rick. And then like, yeah, use that, use that. I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna use it. Like it just. No, fell. That, that's one of my favorite scenes. And that scene gets really meta in that Tarantino's directing a guy, directing someone else who's acting poorly. That's actually acting good. Like, yeah, like, I, I always love that stuff. Well, it's crazy when you think that, like, Rick Dalton, like, stutters and stuff at times when he's, like, 
you know, nervous and mm-hmm. in his own moments, but then like he doesn't when he's acting, you know? So it is kind of wild that like, you just see him as that different person when he is acting. But when he goes to his trailer, like you said, did you know all that was like pretty much improv and like Leo's idea was like, we need to see him like after this scene, like yeah. losing it. No, th- that's, this is my favorite Leo role. And that definitely uh, solidifies it. It's just like, man, like, He's great. Like I love seeing him play a loser. So the he hard, doesn't do it much. The hard cuts in it are hilarious. Eight fucking whiskey sours. <laughs> you had to have eight. <laughs> <laughs> he like goes to sip the flask, yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> and then he just underhand tosses it out the door. Doesn't like even emphatically throw it. It's just such a like weak like i don't want to throw mm-hmm. it too far away because i'm probably gonna go back and get it <laughs> like it just felt so i don't know it cracked me up yeah his whole that the freak out's amazing i think uh that's another scene that always cracks I'm, me up i studied my lines no one's gonna think i did no <laughs> yeah yeah you looked like you did yeah <laughs> oh that's great i love timothy oliphant as in the book Though one of the scenes that they didn't put in, and I think Timothy Oliphant uh, said he's kind of disappointed he didn't get to do it, uh, was there's a line where they're at a bar after shooting that day, and he's talking to Rick, and he's like, Rick, why don't you tell that story again about the, the Steve McQueen story? And he's just like, he pretty much breaks down. He's like, look, man, I really hate that story. Like, I hate telling that story because it didn't happen. Like, this is my life. It's who I am. He said, well, it's just a great story. He's like, well, look, I was the fourth name. He's like, I was, I could have been what the fourth name. He's like, they don't give it to the fourth name ever. If you get down to the fourth person, you crumble the list up and you make a new list. And he's just kind of like, oh, man. <laughs> like It just like kind of hits him. But it's a very cool scene. Like they just, they have, there's other cool moments in it. But just having him break down that to made it make, uh, made that more impactful as well it's like oh yeah that's probably true in hollywood where they have a list and once it gets down to like the last like like when you see the bond like here's the eight candidates for james bond it's like i don't want to see seven of these guys yeah (laughs) there's no way they're actually tapping number five and six like to see if they want to try it out there's no way nick crawls up for bond (laughs) yeah i don't believe it now john mulaney no, that'd be awful. That would be the worst. Both of these movies sound terrible. What did you think about Steve McQueen in this movie? I I, I thought he was all right. I thought he looked like Steve McQueen. I, I thought uh, I don't I don't like that part in the movie where he's just like point, pointing out everybody like he likes her, she likes him, da 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 type of thing. And in the book, there's there's more in the book too. That's like there's like a really cool moment where he like talks to Rick. Him and Rick used to work together, and I think Rick sees him. Uh, outside of the Tate house one time at a party and he's just like talks to him for like 10 minutes like he's like hey man like remember me when we worked here he's like ah yeah Rick Dalton and they talk for a little while so like I I like him more in the book I guess but I don't know I thought he was okay what why what do you think I mean it was kind of I I just know you're a much bigger Steve McQueen fan than I am and just you've watched a lot of those old movies more so than me so yeah yeah, I mean I, I liked it but he doesn't play a big role apparently he said that he he, he said that he uh, was invited to the party to the Tate house the night of the murders. And he always, and I, that could I know have been, he didn't, he that didn't. could have been where this movie kind of uh, another idea where this movie came from. Cause McQueen always said, I wonder what would happen if I was there type of thing. Yeah, that is true. 
And uh, going back to the real case, I guess, Polanski thought Bruce Lee might have murdered Shannon and all those people. But there's a lot of reasons to believe that Roman Polanski actually set up the murders. They were just a big, I mentioned they were a big Hollywood party house. And they owed, like, this guy a lot of money for drugs. And there was this rumor story that I read in the book that Roman Polanski, like, raped this guy. made him pass out and, like, raped him uh, up the ass. And almost like a joke. <laughs> what? I mean, he's a rape- rapist, but, like, pretty much, like, demeaning, demeaning him while he was passed out. And, and so, like, this person had, like, a vendetta to, to kill whoever was in that house type of thing. Or Roman Polanski. But... They also, the cops, another crazy thing, the cops, they found videotapes in their house when they went through it, and they thought it was like, oh, these are just like homemade videotapes, and it was of Sharon Tate uh, allegedly being raped by like several men. Like she didn't want to do it, and Roman Polanski was filming, filming her. So like, I mean, Roman Polanski is a messed up dude, and their, their marriage is really messed up, and even her being with Jay the whole time, there was always rumors that they were still still together. Yeah. And they were having an affair, and the baby could have been his. Wow. Yeah. And I didn't know any of that. There's so much stuff. I like, and I'm only saying it with, like, the 10% of clarity. Like, because <laughs> like, there's so much to unpack. I, just, I, I was pumped Timothy Oliphant was in it, though. Yeah, I know you're... I mean, we both love Justified. And- yeah, Justified's great, but... Uh, but Boyd Kreider, he's always he's been in he was in Hateful Eight. I can't think of his real name right now, but uh, Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins, yes. Yeah, he was he's hysterical in Hateful Eight, and that's another movie that I think I I, I view as a comedy. But it is so it is so violent. Yeah, there's no way it's a comedy. It's it is a, to me. It's more it's of a, a dark like a murder mi- like a whodunit. A whodunit comedy. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's funny. I laugh my ass off. <laughs> Your boy sucked my black dingus. <laughs> Classic lines like that. Just yeah. hit after hit. Oh, I thought this was interesting that Quentin Tarantino described Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt as the as like a very like Robert Redford, Paul Newman. And Brad Pitt does have very Robert Redford vibes oh, yeah. to me. Especially like with his hair and, and just, the jean jacket for sure. Oh man. Like when he said that it was just like yeah of course that makes so much no sense. they do and i kind of i kind of agree i don't like when's the last time two stars like this have been in just like a buddy comedy that's the biggest win of the whole movie is just every scene with those two they're so good too they're I, great one of my favorite lines is at the end when it's like it like you know there's not much to do besides like get shit-faced when it's like your last night hanging out with someone that's uh you have a relationship with that means like more than a friend, but less than a brother, yeah. something like that. But it's just like, oh man, that's so perfect. Well, even the moment, and I read that this was improvised, where Brad Pitt just is like looks at him and is like, "You're Rick fucking Dalton." Brad Pitt said that someone had said that to him early in his career. Okay, and it like so Pro- that probably Nick Cage or something like that. That sounds I, like who knows Nick where Cage's it came motto, from. Probably, uh, but it's still. It's hilarious to think that someone said that to Brad Pitt, but it made the improvise even greater. Like when mm-hmm. you read, like when you learned it's a true story and based in like a real thing, you're like, man, that's awesome. Oh yeah, no, I love. Like I think the movie's so heartwarming because Brad Pitt's just like the best friend. Oh, like even like I had to crack up at the end when he's like 
want to come in and watch my FBI show? And he's like, I just figured, I figured we would, that's man. what we would. I got a six pack in the back. <laughs> Get a pizza. Thought we'd order a pizza. <laughs> he's like, all right. Yeah, I mean, it was. I love that. And that whole scene, like, you know, famous people are so full of shit when they're like, I don't watch my own stuff. Oh, yeah, right. Bull crap, You're man. either watching it to try to improve. Like, you know, it's not that conceited, but I bet a lot of people it is just like, mm-hmm, I'm going to watch my show. Yeah, of course. I, I love that whole, I mean, that's where the meme where Leo's pointing at, but when he's just like the guy that's dead, he's like, mm, good guy right there. Oh, <laughs> so he's a good to guy. Me, that's so funny because it's and like the And then the guy Manning. that's a star, he's like, oh, that guy's a dick. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Monday Night Manning like broadcast when they're like actually talking like about oh, yeah. what's happening it really i was like man i could watch a whole movie of brad and leo just providing commentary Mm -hmm. like that science theater brad Brad and leo when leo gets out of the uh out of the truck and brad's like smooth jump right there Mm -hmm. (laughs) i like that shot you know i I love the scene it's so good it's just so heartwarming but even the beginning to your point of brad pitt being a good friend the first real like two things the first thing he says and the last thing he says is someone like commenting on how he's a good friend I to try. any yeah to Rick and he's just I try mm-hmm. beginning and end I thought that was pretty I mean that sums up his character hopefully they definitely said uh, at the Cannes festival they'd love to work together again so I'd love to see Brad and Leo in something else again that would be incredible I don't know that we'll ever get it <laughs> but. That would be fun to see. Speaking of, did you know that I didn't put it together till I read it, but that um, Timothy Oliphant and uh, Emil Hirsch were in a movie together for the first time since The Girl Next Door. Oh, I, I, did, I didn't think about that. That's cool. Yeah. Because I, I remember talking about how terrifying Timothy Oliphant was mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah, he's terrifying, but damn it, he's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even with a shaved head. He didn't have those gorgeous locks. This man is... So dangerous, but there's something about him. There's something about him that's so appealing. He's evil, sexy Hamlet. Oh, this is hilarious. So Tarantino, you know, the obviously the picture of Leo that's like in the driveway of Rick Dalton's house? Yeah, yeah. You know the story on that? Yeah, well, they, they go into it in, in the book. Oh, that is so funny. It was just like a part of his bill, a billboard for an old show or something. Oh, no, well, the actual story behind it was that Tarantino, and I don't know in terms of the character. Yeah, yeah. But so Tarantino was going to scout locations for the film and oh, went yeah, to yeah. Lee Van Cleve's home. Mm-hmm. And in the garage, there he had a giant poster of Lee Van Cleve. And Tarantino just thought it was so funny that he was like, he just imagined someone giving that to Rick Dalton and Rick Dalton just be like, I'll put this in the driveway. Yeah. The, the backstory is it was like an old piece of a billboard that okay. they, like, they were going to throw away. And he was like, I'll, I'll, I'll take keep, that. Yeah, I'll keep well, that. he said that to the like Rick uh, or Van Cleve's house, Lee, Lee Van Cleve's house was like a pretty much a shrine to Lee Van Cleve. And like, when you look at Leo's house too, like it's posters of like Leo's movie posters oh, yeah. all over the wall. Even when he and, comes back and he's like, I'm getting out of the business. He's still like arranging like his little cups and stuff. And, oh, like, yeah. He's adding new stuff to it. His new poster. Another meta thing at the end when the cops are like interviewing Brad Pitt and his and the wife, it's like you can see his posters in the back, and it almost feels like a promo for a like a show or a movie that you're about to see. Yeah, and even in the beginning, it's there's a crazy part where it's like the first thing it said. It's like it's like what happens when Jake Cahill goes three against one. 
three hippies against one. Oh, yeah. And it's like, nobody gets out alive. He says something like that. And it's just, that's what happens in the movie. Oh, we haven't mentioned, too, that Clint Booth was also based uh, on Hal Needham, who was Burt Reynolds' stunt double forever. Yeah, he's based on a few people, a few of those badass stunt doubles from yeah. back in the day. I think Otto Ray or someone like that's one of them. They they mentioned his name in, in the beginning. He like uh, Leo calls him that that character, but there's a few cool stunt and, and the character from Austin Powers that we talked about, the Natalie Woods, the guy from, married her. <laughs> Speaking of Austin Powers, Roman Polanski dresses just like him for that party uh, yeah. at the yep. Playboy House. I know, yeah. There's <laughs> another so connection. Funny. <laughs> What's that guy's name that murdered his wife? That Cliff Booth's based on? Oh, um, Robert Wagner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Robert so, Wagner. So, yeah, Robert Wagner, is, his wife was Natalie Wood that mm-hmm. apparently fell off the boat. And sure, sure, sure. sure yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. After they'd had a huge fight. Did you know Charlie Day uh, was asked to audition for uh, yeah, Charles Manson. Manson? Yeah, I think that would have been a little... I, I like the guy they went with. He's another guy from Justified, Dewey. Yeah, he's he's also in... Um, he plays Charles Manson in Mindhunters, too. Oh, okay. So yeah. he's kind of typecast now. I, I think Charlie Day would have just been Charlie Day. To it would have been... It would have kind of been like... A little bit like I, it would have been like I'd have been trying not to laugh if they're trying to show a lot of them or stuff like that. Yeah, him talking to Sharon Tate would have been a little like him talking to the waitress. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I read that Jay Sebring, the Emil Hirsch character, actually met Bruce Lee at a karate championship and then introduced him to the producer that cast him in the Green Hornet. Uh, yeah, he got him a lot of work too. He uh, like. He would introduce him to a lot of the stars that he was cutting his hair and be like, hey, I have a guy that could train you type of thing. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's some one of the reasons they show him like training Sharon uh, for her movie. Oh, okay. I didn't even realize that she was training with He, he was like, like when he couldn't get, he was trying to get American movies for a while and he couldn't get the funding or they, and they put him in like the Green Hornet type of stuff. And I think once that ran out, he, he was training the other stars and then went back to uh wherever the hell he's from and then made made huge movies and then then he died (laughs) pretty much the timeline there yeah and then his movies got even bigger after he died oh i'm sure dude oh my gosh when the dog bites him in the nuts (laughs) oh man i just it's you feel so. I don't feel bad for him, but you're also just like that's got to be just the worst because that dog is latched too. Oh yeah, like you hear the crunch. Yeah, it's definitely like a catastrophe. Like you're what, bleeding what, out. What? Okay, if only one of those things happened had to happen to you. That happens to text. to get flamethrowed, to get hit in the face with dog oh, food no. at point blank range, or to get okay, bit in the, yeah. in the nuts by a dog. Those are my three options. Yeah. What? All right. I don't want to get flamethrowed because you die. She died after being flamethrowed. Bitten the nuts by a dog is probably death too. Maybe not, but like you could bleed to death. Like when they like in Django, I think when he talks about like cutting off his, yeah. uh, or like when he talks about cutting off his. I mean, you could. His, he's like, you bleed to death in eight minutes or whatever it is. I think I'd rather get hit in the face with the dog food. It would yeah. hurt like hell. But well, well. What about stabbed in, in the leg with your own knife? <laughs> you oh wait in the hip? Like well, no. He gets 
whenever he's about to stab Cliff and Cliff just grabs his arm and, oh, and throws God. it in his own leg. Yeah, that does feel like such a, like, you're an idiot oh, for having a awful. knife. Oh, that looks awful. Yeah, I, I still go with dog food to the face, even though I this is the moneymaker, you know, let's not mess this up, but. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your best, like, non-main character? So you got Al Pacino as the director. I don't know. This movie's so deep that's that's so hard. I mean, I think he's great. And and even the director guy that you said, the evil sexy Hamlet guy. Yeah, I he's think, great. I think he's great. But Timothy Oliphant. Probably Timothy Oliphant. I would want to see more of his character. Like I felt disappointed that I didn't there wasn't more of his character yeah. in the movie. Oh, director's trademark. I saw this. The Mexican standoff. Many of Tarantino's films have Mexican standoff scenes where characters point guns at each other at the same time. Yeah. This one does, but it's just with the twist where Tex points uh, his revolver at Cliff and Cliff makes a fake gun and laughs oh, at him. Dude, that, and that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. I could, if I like did screensavers, I would make that my screensaver. <laughs> yeah. Him laughing at him is just so great. I'm going to buy a laptop and then, and then just to have that as my screensaver. <laughs> make that your screensaver? That'll justify the cost of a laptop. I don't have. I guess the only other uh, line that I love that we did we did, hadn't said so far is just uh, when Kurt Russell's is like, "I don't dig him," and I don't dig the vibe he brings to the set. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that's hilarious too, because Leo's like ju- Leo the way he's like treats his best friend. He's just like, "Set him on fire, throw him off a roof. He'll just be <laughs> thankful for the opportunity." Well, that's why I think this movie's so heartwarming. It's like their friendship is the core of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's like if only these two guys existed in real life, and then who knows? The whole world would be different. Roman Polanski would be a free man. <laughs> <laughs> he is free, but he's in Europe, that bastard. Well, Reed, you've been a good podcasting co-host. I, I try. That- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's try that again. Let's try it again. Let's try- I'll be more cliff boofy. Yeah. Reed, you've been a good podcasting co-host. I try. (laughs) There you go. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, if you wouldn't mind going on iTunes and dropping us a review, uh, say something nice. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram at Movie Ruiners. Uh, I don't have any upcoming shows. Actually, my show, my monthly show, The Bar That Is At, got shut down. So no more monthly shows moving forward. So nothing to promote right now. Uh, but so you're promoting nothing. You're promoting I'm promoting, not promoting. I'm promoting my lack of promotion. So really okay. dive into the podcast, guys. <laughs> <laughs>